Well, I want to welcome everybody again today. And uh, I have talked about manure application once before on these uh, on these webinars. It was primarily focused on fall application or maybe even summer application. But um, I had a request from one of the members to talk about spring manure application in the context of cover crops. So that is the subject matter we have uh, today. And if you uh, have any questions later on, we'll stop for time or two for that. But I just wanted to jump right into it here. And the topics I want to cover today is basically timing. And of course, we're talking about spring, but I'm that, that word timing there more has to do with you know, is it late uh, or should I say in March or is it May, you know, in that in that normal time frame when, when there's a lot of manure going out? What is the cover crop growth stage at the point we apply manure? What are some rates, methods of application? And how do we adjust fertility in the context of manure? And I should say cover crops as well. And then it's important to understand burn down herbicide management. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I still see some fields once in a while that don't have any cover crops on and uh, over the winter, and then there's people out there uh, spreading manure on them. So why no cover crops? Why don't you why don't you plant a cover crop there? Because it does so much good in capturing the nutrients that are there, keeps them keeps them in their place, keeps them from running off. And it it would be my biased opinion, I might say, that Having uh, manure, apply, applying manure, if at all possible, should be done in the context of cover cropping. It certainly makes it uh, more valuable. It maximizes the opportunity you have with the nutrients are there and also minimizes pollution. And I am going to talk about that a little bit today because it is something we as farmers, if we don't literally clean up our act, we're going to get more regulated in this area. So it is it is my desire to tell farmers let's let's do this right to try to keep regulations off our back but it seems like there's always uh, some rogue farmers out there that for whatever reason they just think that they can do what they want and um I I think we can do better we'll we're, we'll we will have to do better if we don't do it on our own. So it helps to understand a little bit about the uh the growth of cover crops and uh when you have a i know we're talking about the spring here but i will flip back to the fall if you have a freshly emerging cover crop applying manure is not a good idea at that point uh cereal rye is probably the toughest one uh, on this picture here in the lower like lower right hand corner is a is a radish seed just germinating you hit that with like hog manure, that radish seed, good chance it may even die because it'll burn it off from the basically the nitrogen or whatever that's in that manure. Uh, in the spring, we generally don't have a, a freshly lush little seedling growing up, but you may have little seedlings like the rye you have pictured here in the spring. So it uh, we're going to talk about rates here coming up, but this is where you certainly wouldn't want to go very heavy or you could actually smother your cover crop, uh, whatever it might be growing when it's early. So keep this in mind if we're going early with a with manure. And, you know, dairy manure tends to be thicker, more of a slurry. Hog manure seems to be thinner. And you can have some dry manures that if you have a good spread pattern, 
you can get away with a lot because simply not much of the manure actually touches the seedlings, but some will. Some of the little pieces that are scattered out will actually go on top of these, and it could take out some of your cover crop. So this is something you have to kind of understand that if you had a late planted cover crop and you have to haul manure early, you got to do what you got to do. But you may be hindering some of it when you do it. It's just pretty much common sense stuff. But uh, typically, the cover crop does start to grow in the spring, and uh, a lot of the cover crops that you would be putting manure on are cereal rye, um, and that's simply because most dairy farmers are, a lot of them are growing cereal rye, if not for their own forage, but it just seems to be pretty popular in dairy farms. They have manure, and rye is a, rye is a grass, and it takes up nitrogen, which is the most leachable form, the most leachable nutrient that's within uh, that manure. So when you put manure out at this stage, four inches or higher, the chances of survival are very, very good. Uh, you still got to be judicious in that. Um, so just wanted to cover some of the basics along uh, those lines of how much, this, what, what rate can you do? And and you 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 get used to this as you, as you do it, and some are you know know exactly what to do in this. So I would say a really really basic rule of thumb in the rates when, when liquid six thousand gallons or less, particularly dairy manure. Um, it's my understanding, and from what I experience with hog manure, you generally don't like to put much more than that on anyway. Uh, from a from a kind of a, a solid perspective, or from the solids that are in a Hog manure liquid, it's not very much. You could probably put more on that, wouldn't smother it, but it might burn it. Uh, hog manure can burn that leaves of that cover crop a little bit more. And then if it's dry, like you see in the background picture there, spreading a manure on, I'm saying 10 tons or less, you get a little higher in that, you're going to start to smother it out. Uh, I also have here under the rate section, avoid overlaps. And... Uh, you want to have a, an operator who is responsible, who cares. Uh, not only is it from a nutrient perspective, but if you double up a fairly thick stand of rye, you may have problems. Um, and it can grow enough that the next rain you get or later on in the, in the spring or right before planting, if you're going to plant right into that, that that rye literally goes down like you see in the picture here. Now, um, it's not always because of overlaps. It's sometimes there's just simply nutrient variations within the field that you really have no idea are there when you spread. But uh, suffice it is to say, be, I always say spread manure like you're spreading fertilizer, and you're going to be good. Um, so you want to do a good job of that because uh, we're not going to talk about planting into this today, but I'm just telling you, save yourself a lot of trouble. If you're going to be planting into a heavy cover, and we were talking before we went, uh, started recording here how some of these cover crops are getting a little tall and they could start going down. That's very difficult to plant across the stems of lodged cover crops, of lodged rye, particularly these grasses that once they start heading out, <clears throat> those stems start getting pretty, pretty solid and it's difficult to cut them with a colder. So uh, we'll be talking more about that next week. But Suffice it to say, do a good job of, of uh, application. Now, <clears throat> there's another thing that, that farmers need to think about is in the context of their seeding rates. And, of course, you know, this is old news if you already got it planted, but in the future, if you're seeing that your, your 
your cover crop and, and um, rye, triticale, that kind of thing, if it's if it's going down before you want it to, uh, you may be planting it too thick. And a little thinner stand would be better. You really want to eliminate lodged lodging because that is a problem to plant. And I'm, I'm saying this a couple times because it is that important. We're going to talk about forage here coming up because these dairy farmers are looking at that and saying, man, that should have been cut a week ago. We could have put that in the silo. That makes awesome feed, and it sure does. We're going to talk about that later. <clears throat> but for those who are not taking this all for forage, think about your seeding rates. And if you've seen a lot of this, you want to use lower seeding rates uh, the next year uh, so you don't get this. That's the key to, to doing that. And, again, that falls under the, <clears throat> under the management factor there. So keep the seeding rates lower. Um, according to how it works, how it grows in your farms and each of your fields, you know your fields. Some definitely have a history of manure, and and you just don't need as much, or you just need a less seeding rate so it doesn't go down. Of course, emphasize grass type cover crops: triticale, uh, cereal rye, annual rye grass. Um, I say limit the use of, of legumes. I don't say eliminate them because I like diversity. And uh, even though the legumes <clears throat> may not be needed to function so much as to make nitrogen for your subsequent crop, they're just part. They're just part of the synergy. That's part of the mix. I can't explain it. Um, I just know that diversity is good. And I would even I would still put a few legumes like a hairy batch crimson clover if you're talking the fall planting here. Even if you're expecting to put a little manure on, I would put a little in. And it's more for whatever that gives you from a diversity standpoint. And sometimes <clears throat> if you don't get manure onto the spring, those little legumes will help your grass or you know, the crops grow a little bit better over the weekend, over the over the winter, I should say. Uh, so you're able to get a nice stand. And, and then when you put manure on in the spring, you know, off it goes. There are different methods to put um, manure on and uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of time of that you guys know know what they are what you might be working with uh, drag lining is certainly an option that's very favorable if you have the terrain that can handle it and and so forth I, I'll I'll, uh, I'll say this picture I took this happened to be in the fall this is up in New York State where that guy had a couple thousand acres a large dairy farm and you know, just just made a lot of sense. I mean, he was <clears throat> he was well over a mile away from the pit, and uh, and this is just uh, just an ideal way. Uh, just on a side note here, you, you know, most of you know I'm from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We have a lot of Amish around here, and you might be surprised to know that the Amish are now drag lining manure. I I don't have a picture yet. I want to get it sometime, but. It's pretty cool to see four mules pulling a, a, a drag line out across the field. And, uh, you know, when you think about the Amish and having to use horses, uh, it certainly saves a lot of trips with the spreader. And uh, I was talking to my one Amish neighbor who had a haul some manure, and I said, why aren't you drag line? He said, well, he said, I ju it just doesn't work with the way his fields are lined up for where he wanted to put it in the spring. And uh, he has his alfalfa growing. And because as the fields are in strips, the line would have been going over some of these other fields back and forth that would have knocked his alfalfa down. But the point is they got this thing all set up now to, to drag line manure. So I thought you'd find that somewhat interesting just to know that. Um, 
So, of course, putting it on with um, uh, tankers and so forth is very popular. I don't have any pictures of injecting it. I know that some areas are requiring manure to be injected, and uh, if that's a requirement, that's what you got to do. Uh, my argument would be, and we had this, uh, I guess you'd say, debate uh, slash discussion with the, in the context of the Chesapeake Bay. I remember when the awareness of the problems of the Chesapeake Bay came to light, the original idea was to force farmers to inject the manure and uh, kind of got around that by saying now that if you have a cover crop planted in your field, you don't need to inject unless you want to be kind to your neighbors if you're farming near a suburb and, and you want to put it in for the sake of smell. But from the sake from my, for sake of an agronomy standpoint, there it's, a, it's, it's just not a bad practice to put manure on top of growing covers as long as you do it right. And that is not too much and, and, uh, and so forth. So, this is just some of the ways that it can be applied. I wouldn't mind hearing from you uh, when we pause here in a second to, to hear a little bit more about that. Um, let's just talk a little bit about herbicide application and the timing, because this, this has come up to be sometimes a problem uh, in, in this. And this is particularly with those who are letting it grow and um, you're not going to be taking it all for forage. So when do you put a herbicide on, before or after the manure is applied? Again, we're talking about a growing cover crop. Um, I have learned this the hard way myself on my farm where I was going to plant some corn and had the opportunity to get some manure hauled in from a neighbor. It was liquid hog manure. And they spread it on the field. And I don't think it was two days afterwards I was able to go in and plant. And I sprayed to kill the cereal rye in this case. And every little tiny area that they missed with manure, I had a perfect kill of my cereal rye. And where 99.9% .9 of the field that was covered with hog manure just sprayed two days before, I had to respray everything, uh, and that could, you know, I, I was, that was Roundup or glyphosate, and again, this was quite a few years ago, but I had no idea, um, and the hog manure does not really cover the leaf surface much, but I have listed here, and it's kind of pretty common sense for something like cow manure, that it may indeed splatter and, and cover the leaf surfaces where the leaf surface doesn't get enough herbicide to go in. But there's something about it tying up the herbicide. And <clears throat> I, <clears throat> excuse me, I've even heard some people say that after a rain or two, sometimes they can tell where the mixes, where the misses were in a, in a given manure application because it just didn't kill as good. Um, so this is one thing where I highly recommend uh, it makes it a little tricky here, but I highly recommend that you uh, are, are able to get your herbicide sprayed on first, manure applied, and get your field planted. And if you heard me speak before about this whole thing, the risk in this is what if it rains after you have your herbicide applied to your cover crop 
and then that field would be very difficult to dry out. So that is kind of a little bit of a conundrum here and how you manage a manure application. So I would strongly suggest that if you can apply your manure early, and most people do. Uh, so I'm just telling you, this is kind of a little caveat here in spring manure application. If you, for whatever reason, couldn't get in the field or whatever, had to wait, whatever, you need to be, be aware that the herbicide could be tied up just with the manure uh, being there. So I'm going to pause here a little bit. I, I want to back up, actually, for some questions here on uh, manure application and cover crops in the spring. So uh, who would have a comment or, or, or a, a question on, on that aspect, on, on manure application in the spring? How how you how you hear and it's done or what do you uh, what do you recommend or what has worked for you? Anybody want to comment on that? I just wondered, Cody. You know, from your standpoint, are you you must be working with some guys with manure. What's what are you seeing? What's well, how are they handling manure and cover crops in the spring? Uh, well, I'll be honest, this was kind of an opportunity for me to learn. Not something I've dealt with a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And working with a customer in particular who is looking to have dairy manure spread on cereal rye. Mm -hmm. And obviously their concern at this point is it's going to be getting pretty big. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I just thought of a question here. Yeah. If the rye is maybe four, five, six foot tall, mm -hmm. they, got, uh, they weren't able to spray mm -hmm. a head of manure application. Mm -hmm. And... Manure got applied, they came back in, got planted, and if they came in with a roller crimper shortly mm -hmm. after and crimped everything down and then sprayed later, would you see a problem with that after a couple rains? That's an option. Okay. Um, there again, uh, you said after a couple rains. In that case, I would want to make sure I have Roundup Ready corn in case it spears through or comes up, Right. You know, that, you, that it won't hurt the corn. I, I would say that would have to be part of that equation. Uh, awfully risky any any other way okay and the other thing too cody and you bring up a good point i remember when i did this i was um i was uh, working with uh cereal rye that was only about two feet tall as, as i remember it was just like in boot stage mm -hmm. which what you're talking about here is 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 headed and it is easier to kill at that standpoint at that point at that maturity right so it, it could be that you could be able to like after a rain or or maybe uh the between spraying and rolling as you said you could probably take it out um so in the scenario you just described i don't think is it is as hard to do as um what the way i described it uh, okay that may not be as much of an issue. I, I think, you know, you need to be aware of it. I would love to hear how that works out, though, just for all of us to know, because typically manure is not spread on tall cover crops. Um, it just isn't. That's not very common. But, hey, it might happen sometime. So what do we need to know to make that work? I think that's the question you're asking. And my suggestion is to, um, yeah, go in and, you know, if, the other thing I will tell you, depending on how they apply the manure, if you have, depending on the way the manure comes out of the tank, it could actually um, actually blow it. You know, the, the force of the manure could actually push it different ways. You know, if it comes out the back and, and is like, you know, fanned out, um, some are more 
uh, higher than others, it could actually push the cover crop that would make it difficult to plant through. That's a consideration right there. You follow what I'm saying on that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. What, hey, Steve, what about yeah, if you bush hogged? What, what if you bush hogged uh, the, the cover crop uh, and then spread your manure? I mean, you wouldn't have nearly the, the height and you wouldn't have to worry too much about it reseeding. Well, if you're going to plant into something that's bush hogged, that's very difficult. You would have to be very aggressive on your row cleaners. You just have too much short short pieces of material around there, and it tends to stuff down in the seed slot. Okay. Um, now, if you have very aggressive row cleaners, and can put down pressure on them and clean it off. You can maybe get away with that. Bush hogging depends on the type of uh, cutter you have. Sometimes it doesn't always spread it out evenly. I would rather I would rather see you roll it down if you have that option and then put the manure on and then plant and then spray it later. Uh, that's probably be an ideal scenario, what we're talking about here. Um, but um, I definitely would um, would not really, I would not recommend, would not recommend bush hogging. I don't think, I don't think that's a good idea um, for what I, for what I described there. But other questions on manure application and, and taller cover crops or, or anything in the springtime? Okay, I, I had talked about the um, uh, about when uh, herbicides are applied. Any questions on that? I mean, we kind of just just talked about it a little bit, but anyone else have any other comments or question on, on herbicide or experience? I, I would love to hear some other ones' experience uh, on herbicides and manure, any any interaction or or so forth. A anyone have experience in that at all? Okay, well um, let's just move on. Uh, and I had to put in here, what about manure application in a forage situation? In other words, the typical um, thing I'm thinking about here is, is for instance, a dairy farm um, where you'll have your cereal rye or triticale mainly, and you cut that off for forage, and then you go and you apply manure, and then you plant as soon as possible. Uh, that's done uh, a lot in my area, uh, where I live in southeastern Pennsylvania. Most dairy farms now, I would say, I would say, way more than just a simple majority is actually using using some sort of uh, small grain as a forage. Now, some of the bigger guys will will plant one third cereal rye, one third triticale, one third wheat, so they can get it off sequentially. Um, and that spreads out, not only, it spreads everything out, it spreads the harvest out, it spreads manure application out, it spreads planting out. It just makes everything, uh, you're, you're kind of hedging your bets because cereal rye is really only ideal for forage two or three days. And it, when, when you hit the sweet spot, triticale, maybe five or six days and wheat maybe five or six days, but they mature usually about a week apart. So from a management standpoint, um, planting those three or maybe just two, um, you know, cereal rye is gonna be the first one, and then, um, and then it just spreads everything out. And we're talking about manure application today. So this in this case, it spreads it all out so you can get some corn planted earlier. 
um, you know, get it out there, get it growing. It's also a hedge against the weather, but, you know, as we know the way the weather goes, sometimes they all three could be bunched up in the same week. That theoretically certainly could happen. Uh, but uh, but so, so generally we'll want to get our forage cut off, get that manure spread as soon as possible, and then get right in there to plant. Now there's some creative ways there how to control the cereal rye because usually they're cutting it at boot stage and, and it will regrow at that stage. So some are using Roundup Ready Genetics and letting the rye sprout out like six or so inches and then terminating it at that point. Um, others are saying that it's, a, some people have told me it's amazing how glyphosate can work even on a stubble. Um, but they might come back in later and need to clean up then with a post-emergent herbicide like Accent or something like that, but that's pretty expensive. Don't think you really want to do that a lot. Um, anyone on here that has a question about uh, the forage situation uh, when, you're, when you're growing for a forage? Any questions at all on that? So one of the other things that we're dealing with manure, we're dealing with cover crops, there's an interaction between those two concepts. Um, so first of all, if you really want to fine tune things, you should be taking a manure analysis, knowing what is actually in the manure. And uh, you do this a couple times, you'll get zoned into it, but there can be some variance. And if you ever get manure from another farm, um, you might, uh, you'll want to know what what is in that. What is the amount of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and, and, and other, other things as well. So um, once you know what that is, you know how much you put down per acre, you can start figuring a few things out. I'm not going to go into the exact science of that, but um, if there's cover crops involved, it's just important to understand a few things in that. Of course, the weather has an influence. And and then one of the one of the uh, what, what should I say so-called benefits of injecting manure or getting in in the soil is that you save some of the nitrogen from volatilizing, and there is definitely some truth to that. You could also argue that uh, some of these manure applications uh, injectors are they disturb the soil a lot, and you could lose a lot of carbon. Uh, you can lose as much carbon almost as you're putting in the ground with the manure. That may be an extreme example. Um, but there's also some injections out there that are working really good now, very, very minimal disturbance. So that technology is really helping. So you almost have to have put an equation in this equation. What was the weather like after the manure application? A nice, a nice uh, half-inch rain is like really nice to get that that nitrate nitrogen into the soil so it doesn't volatilize off. You know, was it sunny or was it rainy? That can make a little bit of a difference. I don't think there's an exact formula formula out there for this, but it's just something to keep in mind. Um, the other thing I would I would still recommend that with cereal rye, uh, assume that there's no nitrogen there the first several uh, the first several weeks. Now. If, um, if if it's in a, a grains or a, excuse me a forage situation, you know, you've cut that off. It's kind of the soil is essentially at that point. Pretty much, you can assume there's no nitrogen there. You put manure down, and if it rains very soon, you uh, 
will that that corn little, little corn seedling is going to get probably enough nitrogen to start growing. But what if you have two or three weeks of no rain? That corn could have plenty of nitrogen sitting right there, but not available to it. Um, so it's really recommended to have some nitrogen on the seed, close to the seed, when you're planting after a, like a cereal rye type cover. Now, if you're planting into a cover that had um, some legume in it or something like that, then you have to account for that. But the manure will eventually supply some nitrogen. You'll just have to kind of figure out the equation there and on how that all works. So, so wrapping up our topic today, get your questions ready here uh, about this. Um, we'll be opening up for that. I'm I'm saying that well-managed manure, coupled with well-managed cover crops, will keep valuable nutrients in the field where they belong. And then that's money in the bank for the farmer and a benefit for the environment. And I alluded early on how this is important. I just took this picture about a month or six weeks ago. Uh, this is actually the beginnings of the Susquehanna River. Uh, and this is up near Cooperstown, New York. The beginning of the Susquehanna River starts from a lake that you can see in the background. I live only two miles from the Susquehanna River, a little over 400 miles south of this point as the river flows. Uh, it's more direct than that on a road. But as the river flows right there, I'm 400 miles south of that. The Susquehanna River provides over 50% of the water going into the Chesapeake Bay. So all that to say is in this region and no matter what watershed you're in careful management with manure is always going to be under scrutiny the nice thing about cover crops is we have the opportunity to help keep those nutrients on our fields where they belong and out of these kind of water sources we can't turn our backs on this we have to be responsible and this goes with the way we manage our other nutrients as well that's that's not even manure but I just wanted to put it, put this perspective in here is that what is, what is good for the farmer is also good for the environment. And, and you guys know I'm not an environmentalist type person in that context, but the point is the reality of it is we need to do a good job. And when we, when we do cover crops and uh, manure, right, it'll be, um, it'll work out really good. So, okay. Questions. Um, let's, Let's stick to our topic here now, and then I know you have a question, Scott, about something else. But um, questions on manure management, spring manure management, and cover crops. Anybody have a question on that? There's one out there in Nebraska, Aaron. Do uh, you work with many manure applications? There are a lot of folks that are applying manure. Um, most oh. of that's not done in the spring. Um, this has come up a couple times, though, mm -hmm. in the last few years, and just – this is a really good topic, some really good pointers mm -hmm. that you've made. Um, mm -hmm. I think there might be space for doing this over the top of a frost-terminated cover crop in some oh. circumstances. Okay. And that would be mm -hmm. just a different different circumstance okay. that might exist in the spring. So. Yeah. I didn't mention that. Thanks for bringing it up. I see Stephanie, you're on. I'll get you in a second here. Um, so. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that, Aaron. I, I literally did not think of that. Um, but when we have a winter-killed winter cover crop like a radish or an oats, 
you know, how does that work in the spring? And um, there again, I think you have to uh, analyze what did that cover crop provide. Hopefully there's some residue there that's going to help keep the uh, manure in its place, especially if there's any type of a slope, you know, from an erosion standpoint. Um, but this is one of the reasons why I like and also recommend for people to have living covers in the spring, because if you do need manure, that that dead cover crop is not going to help you anything more than maybe getting it in the ground a little better from a filtration standpoint, keeping it from washing off. But it's not really going to do much for you from saving your nitrates from either washing off in a rain or, or leaching down in. So, Yeah, I feel like I've had more questions about when to apply the cover crop seed after wheat. A lot mm -hmm. of manure goes on in the summer. Okay here and and so they wanted to know should i plant the cover crop first or last mm -hmm. and i think first get good seeded yep. soil contact then spread your manure my my answer my answer to that question in your situation you described is always plant the cover crop first unless you have a really good reason not to uh, that's my quick answer because you want to get that biology you want to get them living roots and then spread the manure later when you can and let it if you can let it grow, you know, a couple inches, it'll it'll survive a spreading if you do it right. So let's swing back to you, Stephanie in Indiana. What's your question? Um, I just was wondering if um, if there's any open space to talk about. Uh, I think compaction uh, with spring uh, manure application, and I and you kind of touched on a little bit and using the drag lines uh, in those situations, but um, I, I think compaction uh, with any activity in the spring is a very real thing. And so yep. I guess, how do you manage that and deal with it? And do you see less compaction um, on your operation with covers and manure yep. application? Oh, that's a great question. And um, I'm glad you hit on that because it, it's always almost in most areas and most springs, you know, farmers want to go, they want to go, let's go, let's go. It's time to go. And then the fields aren't quite ready. So compaction is, is is uh you know there's there's two main things that I think about. Number one, <clears throat> when you have a living cover, a living root in that soil, uh, it's going to be able to help support the weight of equipment and and heavy manure uh, uh you know tanks and so forth or whatever spreaders. But you know you just plant cover crops the first year into a what was a dead soil. It still takes a couple years for that structure to build up to the point where it's meaningful and being able to resist compaction. So I remember when I just switched to no-till back in the 80s, I was like, I understood the importance of not being on your soils when, when they weren't fit. And I was a fanatic about that. Uh, I mean, we just did not go in the soils, spread lime, spread fertilizer, spread manure, whatever we just did not run on those soils and as the years went by and now decades man we can go on our soils almost any time and it hardly makes tracks uh even when it was even when it is a time where it would have been too wet before so you earn the right you earn the right to be able to get on your fields earlier and before we went uh went live here and recorded this we were talking um, um, a little bit about how I think uh, it was in Iowa where some people were planting and their neighbors weren't because um, they were planting into living cover crops because it would have been too wet. And 
you know, there's a point where you can push it too far, but uh, if, if you understand the dynamics and you, and you, you're going to have to try it on your own fields and your own farms to see how this works. But uh, the, the, one of the things nowadays is a lot of custom manure haulers and they want to keep going and they want to be running 24 seven sometimes. And, you know, if some area, if they're over in a town and, 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 and one side of the County and, and uh, they have their, their route planned up and, and they get a little bit of rain. They want to keep going as long as they can keep, you know, getting stuck. They want to keep going. So that's an issue you have to deal with. Um, I mean, they're building some wide tires and tracks and all kinds of things now to help. But, yeah, compaction is, is, is clearly something that needs to be very, very, monitor, very much monitored, but also very much managed. And um, it's just part of part of the program here. I think I would just say with cover crops and no-till, you're going to be able to get away with more once you get into the system. So is that helpful, Stephanie? Yeah, that was great, Steve. I appreciate that. Okay. Anyone else have any questions? Uh, while you're thinking, then we'll come over to Scott. He has another question. Next week, I'm going to talk about planting into heavy cover crops. And we'll touch on uh, pretty much this will be a planting green type, but I'm, I'm talking about what you can kind of see there in the picture, fully headed out triticale that was that was thick. Um, and this actually was taken last year on a farm we did for a neighbor. Um, his planter is a no-till planter, but his planter was, well, well, let's just say, was not quite equipped to go through this kind of, uh, of heavy cover crops. And I think we did pretty good with our planter there. And um, even though it was a little on the wet side, and that's why he didn't get it planted earlier, but uh, we'll be talking about that next week. So let's just wrap up today's conversation. If there's still questions about manure, that's fine. But Scott, I believe you had a question about something else. Um, what was your other question? Um, okay, so my question is mainly about hairy vetch. Uh -huh. Um um, we're looking at, like with one of my clients, we're looking at uh, growing a green feed in one of the fields this year. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's irrigated. Um, mm -hmm. So the moisture will be there. But what what I'm looking at is whether we could plant um, a relay crop. Like we have one of the seed dealers here. One of the mm -hmm. seed companies has a, a relay blend that they, mm -hmm. that they recommend or they say they have some experience with in this. Mm -hmm. Uh, what they're saying is you put in your, you add, um, they have Italian ryegrass, annual okay. ryegrass, hairy vetch. Mm -hmm. and they're saying to add that in um, at about 12 pounds per acre, and then you, you along with your cereal. So okay. I guess any experience or any thoughts on that as to whether it's going to just uh, kind of sit underneath and then yeah. grow once the, the green feed is taken off with the cereal or what's, mm -hmm. what do you think is going to work? Well, what is your timing of planting the cereal and then the, the relay or the, the, the cover crops here in this case, uh, what, when, what is your timing on that? When is they, when are they both done? Well, let's see here. Like the way, the way I understand it is it uh -huh. that you would, you grow, you plant it all at once, but I've kind of okay. wondered whether you could. Right. Because it the um, like herbicide could be an issue with or well uh -huh. would be an issue. Um, so I guess right. like what 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 do you think would be best or what do you think could work? 
I think the, the best here. Be here's, here's my here's my answer, Scott. Okay. The best thing would be to try it on a small scale and see what happens, because yeah. you know now yeah. you're at the tip of the spear with this kind of stuff, and, and I don't think anybody can say yet this is a recipe that will work. Uh, so I like I love to hear these kind of things. Uh, but and I could tweak the seeding rates and everything, but I'd have to talk to you for a while. The point is, my point, and this is for everybody else. When you when you're when you start hearing about this relay cropping, companion cropping, and, and trust me, I'm doing it. I got to put some pictures on the internet of some of the stuff I'm doing because it's, it's looking pretty cool. Uh, and I'm starting to figure some things out. So that being said, um, with what you just suggested, is one of those prime things, Scott. You're you're the man. You guys. You try that, test it out, get back to us, see what happens. Um, because it's like, you know, how to really rein this into a, a, a point of, you know, this is how it really works. I think we're not there yet. And I'm glad to hear that seed companies are, are involved in this. So I'm happy to hear your question, uh, but I can't give you much of a guidance on specifics. So that, that, that's, I mean, yeah, I just got to be honest with you. I just. Okay. Yeah. So then, so then even with this hairy vetch, mm -hmm. um, cause I don't have, I, I know, I know the, the concerns of having the hard seed and it becoming the weed there. Mm. Um, but does it, is it like a slow growing one that if we planted, like, cause it's going to be probably planted in only a few weeks. Okay. So is it going to kind of sit there and then really take off? more in the fall, like in the cooler yeah. weather, or what's what's it going to do? Well, you brought up a couple questions. The hard seed is not really a negative unless you're organic and growing small grains. Okay. So that that you can deal with it. That's my short answer in the most, hard seed. Most, most chemicals in any other <clears> – <throat> most chemicals will take care of it. Yeah, or they or they just don't bother it. They just oh. they just don't bother another cash crop. So you're saying you'll plant a, a some sort of a 4-H crop here soon. Once your little snow melts, yeah. and and uh, and you'll get get this. See, Harry Vetch is a cool season, uh, winter annual, so they ain't gonna do much over the summer. It's just gonna kind of sit there underneath there, and if it survives, it'll start really coming to life then in the fall. Okay, and, and I think that's when you said you want to use it as a green feed. Does that mean grazing or what? No, like to, well, the green feed would be so if they plant like a like a cereal, so cutting it in uh -huh. July. Okay. So I guess what I'm thinking is that oh. if there's something yeah. kind of understory or kind of right. ready to yep. take off when that gets cut. Yeah. Well, red clover has historically been done with wheat, and that's that's pretty much a winner there. Yep. Uh, you might want to put some red clover in just to uh, use that as a baseline. I, I do question the hairy vetch. Not sure if that'll work, but then again, you're you're in um, Alberta, so that's, you're cooler. It might go. It may your longer days and all that stuff may make may allow it to work over the summer. Um, I'm not that's saying you should do it. But, yeah, because it's normally a fall plant, right? Isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I would red clover would be one to try because it's historically done pretty good in a situation like you're talking about. Okay. So good. Well, that's a great question. Anybody else have any other questions regarding the, our topic today about manure and cover crops or any other cover crop question at all? Anybody else have any more questions? Hey, Steve. Yeah, Lloyd. Uh, we are going to try uh, forage soybeans and uh, corn 
in a twin row, uh, planting uh, soybeans in one t side and mm. uh, corn in the, the other. I was wondering yeah. if anybody's ever done that. I've I've heard of some people putting it in a 15-inch row in between a 30-inch corn row. Um, I think Dave Brandt did that from Ohio. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I know any other specific answer, uh, examples of that. Um, but is this going to be for grain or for silage? For silage. Oh, see, that makes me more excited because – you know, you got some protein in there and the soybeans. It'll probably give you a little nitrogen to the corn, right? I mean, that's your idea, right? That's the thought, yes. Yeah. I would think, I would consider cowpeas too. I mean, if you want to start getting a little, make it, make it a little more confusing or more complex. <laughs> you know, cowpeas will climb up the corn and maybe get sunlight a little bit better. I've, I've heard uh, that cowpeas have been doing really good in interseeding. Um, so... Might be uh, something for you to think about there. On, on well, we, uh, we were also going to plant some cowpeas and grazing corn together. Well, now you're talking. If you're, if you're going to do grazing corn, that, that implies you're going to do grazing, right? Well, we, we were going to bale it. Oh, you're going you're gonna, to – so you're going to bale it to sell, the, sell that then? Sell it or, or feed it uh, depending okay. on demand. My question is, is – grazing corn better than a sorghum sedan type we don't know yeah. our, our, our cattle didn't like the sorghum sedan that we planted the last two years they oh. they ate it but they they didn't gain very well and okay. uh yeah we had that sun hemp and sorghum mm -hmm. last year and mm -hmm. uh like i said they ate it but mm -hmm. they didn't really like it okay so yeah. we're trying something different gotcha well you might be on to something um might be on to something there. Aaron, go ahead. On that note, I was just going to say the other two species were pigeon peas and sun hemp. And then they specified iron and clay cow peas did pretty well okay. in the interceding deal. Um, and that sun hemp might not be that palatable. I don't know. Yeah. Um, sun hemp, so it's, it's pretty much when it gets to the bud stage, it's it's pretty much over for eating it um because it starts to get fibrous really quick um the leaves are still edible but uh so you you're referencing there more of an interceding i think lloyd's talking about planting at including these at planting that are planted all at once yeah right? and, and i think yeah. it'd probably be similar in yeah. nature yeah because this yeah. is like v3 planting yeah yep yeah. Um, no, the other thing is, I've always wondered what a sunflower would do in a in a silage mix. But well, I've I've heard of some people edible. trying that. I was in Wisconsin this winter, and there was a guy who was trying that. I mean, I have to ask the question. You know, where's where's the feed value in that? I'm not really sure. It looked pretty cool, though. Um, I'll tell you that. Uh, you know, he planted them with the corn, um, and and um, so I I. I enjoy hearing about this stuff, but I caution people not to go too too big on it until they know what they're doing. Um, yeah, a little bit. I really like that sentiment that says ten percent of your four percent. Yeah, yeah, that's Bob Recker's. Uh, there you go. Uh, guide there. That is a good. It is a good guide. Yeah, that's for sure. Comes out to like a half an acre per quarter. Right. Yeah. 
and that, that's that's for trying something crazy. <laughs> so. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I like I like Scott. that idea too. Yeah, I, yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to the the client about that idea too. Is yeah, so okay. just yeah. try, you know, try some of the crazier things, but yeah, don't go. Yeah, full on. Yep. Yep. Really new, so. Yep. Yeah. Good practical advice. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Any other questions for today? We're we're kind of wrapping up, but I don't want to hold anybody off here. Any other questions anybody has? Well, thanks so much. Uh, next week we're going to talk about planting into heavy covers. In the meantime, I hope I hope most of you dry out the way it sounds, and uh, have a great week. Uh, stay curious and keep learning.